nations and liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. In your pew Bibles, if you would, you can turn to page 1038. Tony has asked that I read two different passages tonight in preparation for his message to you. This will be in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 14 through 22. But Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 22. For he himself is our peace, who hath made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came, and he preached peace to you who are far off, and to those who are near. For through him we have both access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, if you would, turn to page 967 in the Pew Bibles. This is Acts, the second chapter, verses 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the church those that were being saved. Good evening. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you tonight and uh, to talk with you for a few minutes about a, a most important topic. When someone uh, uses the word or brings up the word family, what does that bring up in your mind? Does that recall, recall warm memories of, of uh, times gone by when things were going well and you were happy in your family and uh, there was peace and contentment and joy, and joy? Or does it bring to mind times of conflict and chaos and despair? We know that there are two kinds of families. There's the, there's the kind that's, that's the happy kind and that's doing the right thing and, and being the kind of family that the Lord wants us to have. And then there's the other kind of family, which is not. But I don't want to talk with you specifically about the physical family tonight. I want to talk to you about the spiritual family, the church, and compare the two. You know, I grew up in the 50s, and I'm giving away my age, but it's pretty obvious anyway. Uh, we, we watched such shows as Leave it to Beaver and uh, Ozzie and Harriet, which depicted that perfect family. Now, we know that those kind of ideals are just ideals that uh, can't be totally reached, but at that time, we, it was what we wanted. We wanted uh, that kind of family. We also should want that kind of family in the family of God. You know, one of the saddest situations that I can think of is being an orphan. Uh, if you've ever visited an orphanage or seen or worked with orphans, you know that sometimes that they are just uh, begging for love and, and acceptance. And they, that's not to say that there are many orphanages or, or places that try to provide the family that they need, but uh, it's a sad situation. Now, the word family is only found once in the King James New Testament, but there are many references to the family. I mean, the concept is is all throughout the family. There are such phrases as uh, children of God, sons of God, brethren, sisters, body of Christ, and so on. And as I said before, there are many parallels between the physical family and the spiritual family. I want to look at it tonight from the positive standpoint primarily. We know there are negatives, but let's think on the positive. And what are some of the attributes of a good family? Well, I want to mention just briefly uh, six of them tonight. Peace and unity. That is something that we would aspire. Companionship and freedom from loneliness. Comfort in adversity, mutual edification, mutual encouragement, security, protection, leadership. All of these things are, should be present both in the physical family and the spiritual family. 
In the scripture that I've chosen tonight, uh, that uh, James read for you just a moment ago, was a conflict that uh, they were having between the Gentiles and the Jews. And this, in this beautiful text, it shows us how that those conflicts can be worked out and all become part of the household of God. Uh, one, one thing that comes to mind when I think about peace and unity, uh, your first thought, if I mention Joseph, you'll think, well, that's a family that was not very much at peace at all. And it wasn't to begin with, but looking at it at the positive standpoint, Joseph was the kind of person that wanted to have that the kind of family that was good. He loved his brothers in spite of what they had done to them. And at, at the end of the story of, of Joseph, we see that all the family comes together and they're once again strong. And we can do that in the family of God as well if we, if we do the things that God wants us to do and we work together. Now, I don't know if you've ever been lonely. I know most people at one time or another have been lonely. But... When you have a good family, it helps you it, to not be that way. It helps you to be strong. It helps you to have companionship, to have love one for another. Um, the Bible teaches us that love is a, an integral part of the church, and it's an integral part of the, the physical family as well. We just can't make it alone. In Colossians 2 and verse 2, we see that it refers to hearts knit together. I'll begin with verse 1. For I, I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So we can all be knit together in love. We don't have to, to be lonely. Either in, our, in either type of family. Comfort in adversity. We all, we all have adversity. Uh, anybody that don't have adversity, uh, I would ask you to raise your hand, but I don't think anybody would do it. Because we all have problems. We all have things that, um, that, that cause us grief. Um, an example from the New Testament of a, in a physical family, John 11 and verse 19, this is, of course, is, is where... Uh, Lazarus is, is, uh, is, is died and is going to be raised from the dead. It says in verse 19, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. It's, uh, it, you, can, you can have comfort in a family. And if you have a good family, you can help each other. When things go bad, you can lean on each other. And, that's what, and that is extremely important. Mutual edification, mutual encouragement. We all need encouragement, don't we? I mean, sometimes things don't, don't go exactly right. Maybe we're, we're working on a project or something, and we're, or we're trying to do something, and someone gives us that word of encouragement. It's, just so, it's so wonderful. It makes us so edified and so uh, eager to, to, to carry on the task. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11, we, we see that we're told to edify one another. Let me read that right quick. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11. 
Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So in the church, we edify one another. And, of course, we, we do the same thing in our homes. Parents encourage each other. Children encourage one another, or they should. I mean, sometimes they fight and fuss and argue, but um, in a good family, those children are going to encourage one another. And parents are going to encourage children, and children can even encourage parents. It's just a, you know, the family is the, is the oldest institution in the world, and it was created by God. And, and if, we, if we handle the family right, then it'll be a great blessing to us, a great blessing. Security and protection. The family should be a safe place. If you're, as I mentioned a while ago, if you're an orphan, you may not feel safe because you don't know, you may not know who's going, maybe if you're going to foster homes, you may not know where you're going to be living next year or next month. But in a, in a good home, you have safety, you have protection. We all know, realize the need for that. We need we, we work together and we, uh, we help one another. Uh, we watch out for each other. There is a very good parallel to that in the, the spiritual family. We have protection from the devil. We have protection. We have security knowing that we can be saved. Uh, as James read just a moment ago, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church is the family of God. And when we're in the family, when we're in Christ, we have salvation. The last parallel I want to present to you is leadership. You can't have a good family without good leadership. And of course, who is the leadership in the, in the home? It's the mother and father, or it should be. The father, the father should take the, the leadership and the mother working with the father to help the children. Uh, in Ephesians 5, uh, 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as, is, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be, their own husbands in every, be to their own husbands in everything. So we see that the leaders in the home should be the should be the the fathers and the mothers, and the and the leaders in the, and the leader in the church, of course, is Christ and God. In in Ephesians six and verse four, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The father is to be a leader in the home, just as Christ is the leader in the church. We, just, we need to encourage one another. We need to try to build the strong families that we need in the church. I want to encourage each, each one of you to help the family of God to be all it was meant to be. And if you're not part of the family, Jesus invites you to be part of that family. If you are, and if you're following the, the plan that, that God has, has for you in the family... You'll be richly blessed, and all the benefit I've mentioned this evening can be yours, all these wonderful benefits of having a good family. As I close, I want to mention to you that there's as a parallel to the, the physical orphan. You can be an, a spiritual orphan where you don't have a place, and, but Jesus invites you. Everyone, everyone can enter the family of God.
An orphan may not be able to find a family, but everyone can enter the family of God. Thank you very much. If you would, open your Bible, uh, song books to page 538. Page 538. My... for the lesson that uh, David Fleming will be bringing to us. I'll be reading from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, uh, verses 28 through 29. That's found on page 268 of the Pew Bibles. Again, that's 1 Samuel 25, verses 28 through Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. The Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling." Hello, family. If you will, just uh, hold your, your finger on that page for that reading in Samuel, 1 Samuel 25, and we'll go back to that in a few minutes. We'll look a little bit about 
where this family's been in 2011, where we are now, and uh, where we're going to be in 2012. Recently, one of our bulletins had had some information in there about the attendance for the year, the, the uh, amount of, uh, of contributions and so forth, and part of that was that uh, there had been 41 baptisms and 42 restorations in this congregation. And, of course, there's been many studies and uh, many sessions with counseling and recovery classes and so forth, and that's good. Uh, in our stateside work in the year 20, 2011, a new congregation was established in Kentucky, and we had a good part in that. In Central America, we had teams who went there on medical mission trips. There were baptisms, there were studies, there were medical aid and assistance given to people, and also uh, Phil Wagner has been working there to uh, support the preachers and to help uplift the congregations as well as to plan uh, medical mission trips for other times of the year and other places. In uh, Sudan, Don Humphrey and others have worked there through the year. There's now a, a school there and a clinic, and much good can come from that, and I understand classes are to start in the school in January. In Brazil, the Fowlers have been working there, and they are home on leave right now, and Buddy and Sissy don't have much to say about that, I'm sure, but uh, I, I imagine you can see them grinning a little here and there. And we're glad for that, and after their furlough, they'll go back there and work with the people, learn more about the language and the customs, and perhaps begin a school and do other work there in the year to come. In West Africa, the Willets continue to work there and translating of, uh, the Bible into languages of those people and helping uh, the people there with the milk program and working with the people of Africa. In Greece, the Marilitos continue to work with the Ammonia Church of Christ in Athens. And in that congregation, there are actually several congregations of different language groups uh, of different nationalities that have services on Sunday at different times. And in the Ukraine, Sasha and Julia Rodneyev continue to work with that congregation. Sasha is a preacher there. They've had some misfortune in that uh, they have lost their apartment that they were living in and now uh, are forced to live in the uh, apartment that's rented for the church. And we continue to try to do what we can to uh, purchase either a property and build a building or buy a, a building for a place of worship for that congregation. And we hope to have better progress in the, in the year to come for that uh, in order that they can have a place that the community will recognize them as a church, as someone solid in the community, which will continue to help their growth and their spread of the word of God. And we appreciate all of the people who have taken part in all of these works, wherever they are in this country, in the world, around about. And you're to be commended on helping whatever way you've been, either by donations, by prayers, by, by cheerful comments, by going on the trips. We, we pray that you will continue to do these things. We also had a good year in that we've got two more two new staff members uh, with us. Uh, John Michael Kennedy is our new involvement minister, and Tim Martin is our new education minister. And they have uh, put their plow on the ground, and they're making a good furrow, and, and their work is, is really showing fruit. And we hope and pray that you will support them in their work as they are supporting you as a church family. That's where we've been, and, and that's where we are. And uh, in this year... God willing, we'll, 
we'll be able to uh, reap the fruits that are right before us. We continue to look at uh, uh, property that is contiguous with us to see if we can expand the campus here as, as we're allowed. And uh, we're in the process of appointing new elders and deacons to help us continue with the work as our family grows. And in this year, we hope to be able to put into effect a new shepherding model that will allow each of your shepherds to shepherd you more successfully and give you someone to work with you more diligently. These are the things that are coming. And as you know, we live in a world that is the world. And Satan is alive and well. He's attacking families on every side. He's attacking our families at home. He's attacking our church family. And it's up to us to bring ourselves under God's power, to read his word, to know how we should behave in our daily walk, in his house, and with each other, all the things we do, all the things we say. Uh, let's turn to First uh, Samuel 25. Um, we'll look into the life of David here a minute, and maybe we can make some application for this. We find that uh, in this chapter and preceding that King David has been uh, pursued uh, David is not king. He's been pursued by King Saul. And Saul has tried to kill him several times. David manages to escape his grasp. And he is, even has the opportunity to kill Saul from time to time, but does not do it. He uh, is on the run, so to speak. But yet, as Saul is chasing him, David is still trying to do the work of a good citizen. He's protecting his people in the land of Judah as much as he can from raiders of the Amalekites and from the other tribes that are in the areas and surrounding. And he's trying to, trying to be a good, good neighbor, trying to be a good soldier, and trying to learn what God would have him to do. He knows that he will be king after Saul is uh, removed by God. The people know he will be king after Saul is removed by God. And King Saul knows he will be king. And this is the situation we're in. And I'd like to read with you, if you will, beginning with verse 2 of chapter 25, so we can get the setting for what's going on here. Now, there was a, certain, there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The man... The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers, your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from, all, from them all the while that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heel 
and went back, and they came and told him all these words. And David said to his men, Every man girded on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the spies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there, there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do also and more so to the enemies of David, if I leave but one male of all, of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my lord, on me let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your handmaiden has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your handmaiden. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as far as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord is done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to greet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left in the ball. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, 
Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. And when and now Abigail went to Nabal, and he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him little, told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. We got quite a quite a bit of attitude and people things going on here, don't we? How would you like it if your name was Nabal? We're not given this guy's name, but everybody called him Nabal, which is fool. He was a rich guy. He, had, he said he was prosperous. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of sheep. had a lot of other animals. And yet he wasn't very well thought of. Nowhere do we see anything other than a ball, fool, to be called fool by the people that you, you live with, you work with, and you're around all the time. And think of David. Here's David pursued by the king. He's got enemies on every side, and he's troubled by every moment. And he's trying to do good to his neighbor, trying to help everyone that he can. So he asked a blessing from Nabal for his protection that he and his men had given them. And what does he get in return? He gets rebuffed. We don't like it when people say, hey, I don't care what you want. I ain't going to give it to you. I don't even know who you are. That don't go over very well with us when we know we've done a good thing. David's human. So he's going to do the right thing, right? He's going to go out and remove these people from living. (laughs) He's going to avenge them. Can you see that in your own life where maybe somebody's done us wrong and uh, we say, okay, I'll just take care of them. I'll fix them. That's what David's going to do. He's going to fix them. But at the beginning of this reading, we saw that Nabal had a wife. She was beautiful, and she was intelligent, and she was very godly and very wise. And if you look at the story and her part in this story, see the importance of this woman in the life of David and in the kingdom of Israel as she comes about this story and goes through the process of trying to avert disaster, not only for her husband's household, she's a good steward of her husband's household, taking care of the matters for her husband, but also she's preventing the upcoming king of Israel from avenging himself, which will make him disqualified before Israel as being a good king in the sight of God. And it says over and over, you know, she says, verse 28, Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. She's trying to prepare him for, to look ahead. Look where he needs to be, not only where he is. So he listens to her, and he says later, You have prevented me from avenging myself on my enemies. Let the Lord take care of it, is basically what he's saying here. And he does. If you read on through the rest of that chapter and on in the rest of 1 Samuel, you'll see that uh, the Lord takes care of this debt that is due. Nabal dies. That debt is cleared up. David later becomes king, but he does not go against the will of God to do this. I think there's some lessons here for us as a church family. We need to remember to whom we belong. And every day, you know, it it may be a brother or sister in the church that's done something wrong to me or you or someone else. We don't like that. What's our first thought? I'm going to get even. We need to get over it. (laughs) We've got work to do for God. God's got us here for a purpose. And we need to find our purpose. 
We don't always know what it is. But every day we lift our head from the pillow is a day that we can do something for God. And every day we do something for God makes the next day have more things we can do for God. Uh, We've read about the the man with five talents, three talents, one talent. And I don't think as a Christian we can be a one-talent man. Because as we learn to do one thing for God, he will give us opportunity to do another. It doesn't matter what it is. We need to find our opportunities, recognize them, and work toward God's purpose in this life. In the year 2012, let's work together. Let's make it grow, make it go, and make God alive and well in this place. Perhaps you are, are here tonight and you're not a Christian. I hope something has been said or you've seen something or read something or others have told you something that make you understand that this life will soon pass. And if we haven't got a, a confirmed hope of a home with God, we need to look at that. We need to consider what God would have us to do. His word tells us that we need to become his followers, become Christians to do his will. And there are times when we fail in that. And we know in our hearts when that is and what we've done wrong and whether we need to come and tell the congregation or whether we need to pray with God ourselves or bring someone else in and have them pray with us. We'd like to ask you as we close out this year of 2011 that we start with a new slate for next year. If you need to answer the invitation call tonight, please come as we stand and as we sing.
Uh, being here this evening, we pray that you have a wonderful holiday season as that's coming upon us, and we pray that you'll all be safe, and we look forward to uh, everyone returning on Sunday morning. Our closing song will be number 611, 611. We need some, we need some heavenly sunlight going on, so let's close with heavenly sunlight. Walking in Shall we bow? Our Father, trying in heaven, we're thankful for the greatest gift of all, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We're thankful for the salvation that he offers to each one of us. We're thankful for forgiveness, for joy, for peace, and for happiness, for the great meaning that you give to our lives. Father, we pray that thou would help us to understand the direction that you want us to go in life that you would help us to always rely upon the hope and the strength that you give unto us daily. Father, help us to realize your continued presence in our life. Help us to know you as a loving, caring shepherd and to always keep our lives focused upon you. Father, we're grateful for the love that binds us to you and that binds us one to the other in the family of God here at Mount Juliet. Father, we're mindful of those who have burdens upon their hearts, whether it be for economical reasons or whether it be health, whatever it is, we pray that thou would help us as Christians to do what we can to relieve those burdens and help us to always have the right relationship with you and to rely upon you for strength and for understanding to do what is right. Father, we're grateful for our young people We pray that you would be with them and help them to always choose to go in the right directions. Help them that they may seek the guidance of your word. And may they always choose the right companions and keep their focus upon you. Father, help us as we are faced with this new year that we may be good students of your word. That we may have a zeal to know and to understand your will for mankind. Father, help us that we may use the privilege of prayer 
to seek your help and your guidance and to offer to you praise and thanksgiving for all that you do for us. Father, thank you for loving us and help us that we may be faithfully committed to you each day of our life. We thank you and praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.